0: Hello and welcome to the Faith and Family Matters podcast, where we talk about issues that strengthen our faith and build stronger family connections. Please join us for today's podcast with our host, William Hemphill II, pastoral counselor. Hello, this is William Hemphill, Pastoral Counselor, Faith and Family Matters Broadcast, uh, doing a live broadcast on Facebook, and then also this will be loaded on to, for podcasts for tomorrow. Wanted to take a few minutes to talk about the subject, When Anger Breaks Loose, When Anger Breaks Loose. So in America, and all around the world, most of us are in shock and outrage because a young man named George Floyd was murdered by members of the police department in Minneapolis, Minnesota. As I've done this recording, I now understand that all four officers have been charged and that the main officer has now been charged with second-degree murder. People, naturally, were outraged as this officer sat with his knee on George Floyd's neck for almost 10 minutes. In many ways, it looked like he was still there on his neck for three minutes after Mr. Floyd had passed. The outrage continued because the other officers were there holding him down, watching and making sure there was no interference. Even to my understanding, at some point, paramedics wanted to check his post and see if Mr. Floyd was okay or if he had been deceased, and they weren't allowed. A horrible situation. Combine this with the murders of Ahmaud Aubrey and Breonna Taylor, This was enough to send America into another level of outrage. Protests have been going on in our cities and show no signs of slowing down after a week. Now, as a black male therapist and also as a black pastor, I understand that I've been called to a life of service and part of that service is to help bring healing in terrible situations, such as this. In my daily duties as a therapist, I serve by providing a safe space for people to discuss their trauma and their pain concerning situations like this. As a matter of fact, I've spent much of the past week dealing with situations like this. Clients get to process their feelings and then also reflect on their own histories and traumas concerning racial oppression. Those of my clients who are of Anglo descent sometimes are allowed to examine their lives and may have seen how they have benefited or hurt others, or sometimes they want to process the trauma and figure out how they can help to make a difference. I like to say this is part of the natural course of therapy is dealing with things like this however even though i'm a black male therapist and i'm also a christian counselor i have to process my feelings because i am also a black male and when i hear about these events when i see the videos I'm reminded that as a black male, I'm often seen as a threat, no matter what I do. In other words, even though I'm a pastor and even though I'm a counselor, even though I'm a person of faith, even though I'm educated, even though all these different things, a father, a husband, some people only see my skin, and think I'm a threat. It reminds me that if I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time, someone could attempt to take my life just because I'm a big black male. Then even as I process this even further, I'm a father. I'm an uncle. I have to talk to my sons. I have to talk to my nephew and remind them of being careful. Because if they're in the wrong place at the wrong time, no one sees honor student no one sees hard working young men no one sees college students they see threats this is sad this is pathetic this has to change this has to change because men should not die for jogging in a neighborhood People should not die because they may or may not have passed a $20 bill. Women should be safe in their homes, not worried that if someone knocks on their door at a certain time of night and comes barging in, that they would die. Children shouldn't die for playing with guns or going to stores and buying iced tea and Skittles. Here's the other sad thing about this. I could recite this on and on and on and on because there are numerous cases that don't stop. And part of the frustration that I can express as an African-American male, is that when we talk about these things, there are a lot of people who don't listen to our experiences, and as a matter of fact, will invalidate our experiences. We'll claim that we don't know what we're talking about. Here's the interesting thing when it comes to having conversations with people, if you want to build relationship in order to build relationship, there is a necessity to listen to the viewpoint of the other person and at least try to empathize and understand. Even if you don't agree, sometimes you have to look and say, okay, if I saw it through their eyes, could I see where they're saying that viewpoint? This is a technique that I often use in marriage counseling, trying to get a husband or a wife or a spouse or a partner or whoever to try and see something from the other person's eyes just in order to get a better understanding. And that simple principle, I think, is one of the things that's needed in our society because too often the voices of black men and black women and black youth are being dismissed in this debate. Too often the voices of, I would say this, black Christians have been dismissed in this debate. Why is it dismissed? I think President Obama may have said something earlier about this, talked about the history in our country. I remember when talking to a client earlier this week, I said something to the effect that the legacy of slavery has affected blacks and whites. It has affected us and traumatized us both mentally. You may say, what do I mean by that? Well, there was a myth in order to enact slavery that was created. The myth stated that people of darker skin were inferior, were subhuman, and were animals. And because of being inferior or subhuman or animals, those of the majority of white race had to have control over them in order that they would be safe and so when this myth is perpetrated and then the theology of the church is brought forth and added to it with things like the curse of ham which was saying that black skin was the actual curse the things in, I believe it's Galatians, where it's misappropriated, where it talked about slaves honoring your masters, and all of these different things that were used to perpetrate superiority and inferiority, I say that both parties are victims today. So when you see an eight-year-old black girl trying to sell water and you're a white woman and you feel like you have to quote unquote police her, it's because you've been victimized to think that you are superior to this black girl who's just trying to get some hustle on or be entrepreneurial. When you see a young man jogging through a neighborhood and you quote-unquote say that there are robberies going on in the neighborhood, you feel that because you are supposedly superior in your mind that you have the right to stop this black man, and if he doesn't stop, you have the right to shoot this black man or put him in his place. In other words, the disease has poisoned your mind also. When... You see a young man in the neighborhood wearing a hoodie. And you call 911. And 911 tells you to leave it alone, let the police handle it. You feel like because of your mentality that you have to ignore the instructions that you were given. George Zimmerman and go and attack a young man. Do you see how myths, do you see how bad theology, do you see how all of these things have poisoned the minds of people? This has led to what's going on in our country even today. Many people in America saw this horrible killing. And so they are marching and protesting, marching and protesting out of outrage, anger, and sadness, grief, all of these combined emotions that are mixed in this situation. And as I look at the marches and as I talk to my clients, and as I attempt to shepherd, as I shepherd my church, and as I attempt to speak positivity and voices and good news out to people, there's a question that I'm pondering. And that question is this, what do we do after the marching? How do we work in such a way so that no one else is killed due to racial violence? How can our hearts and minds be changed so that we no longer see people as dangerous just because of the color of their skin? I'm reminded, Hosea Williams' daughter Elizabeth, I hope I say her last name correctly, Omanani, she was being interviewed this weekend. One of the things she said was they protested with a purpose back in the civil rights movement. In other words, there was a strategy that went along with that protest. And so I do believe that the protests are calling attention to a problem that's been going on for a very long time. And they are agitating the system. And they're supposed to agitate the system. My question is, how do we develop strategies afterward? How do we partner with other organizations who are doing things, or how do we do things within our own sphere of influence to make a difference? Anger is a powerful emotion, and in many ways, I believe it's the most powerful, mobilizing emotion that there is. How do we use our anger? How do we use our frustration? How do we use the things that are going on inside of us to bring healing to our nation? I don't know what that is for you. I can talk slightly about what it is for me. Voting is an option. In other words, go out, make sure you're registered to vote, you social distance as much as you can, and you go to the poll and you vote for the candidates of your choice. Maybe you do other things, create economic systems that allow people to be employed and have opportunities or some other means. Whatever it is to have a strategy. Maybe the pastors or the clergy need to get together first. The clergy, the people of all sorts of faith, get together first and talk about how we can treat each other with love and fairness. Through therapists need to run multicultural groups that address racial tension and pain. And would people be willing to come to those things, understanding that it might be difficult? You might have to deal with some internal hurt, and you might have to deal with some challenging of your core beliefs. I don't know. Those are just some suggestions. I'm saying it because I do believe as a country, we need to do something better. I know as a clergy person, as a therapist, I'm examining ways that I can do some things better. We all have to do better because I believe that God has called us all to something better. The scripture tells us to love God, love neighbor, and love ourselves. The person that helped the Jewish man on the side of the road was not the priest, was not the Levite, but it was a Samaritan. But the Samaritan had enough love in him to cross the cultural line in order to make sure that someone else was cared for. What happens when we put our divisions aside and recognize that we are all human beings and need love? of grace and love. What happens, instead of looking at each other as enemies or as the other, or as someone we don't understand, that we take the time to learn from one another and treat each other as neighbors, just as Jesus taught. This is William Hemphill, pastoral counselor, thanking you for listening to today's podcast I hope it challenges all of us to continue to do better. Thank you for joining us for today's podcast. We hope that the show has been a blessing to you. If you would like more information on personal counseling, couples counseling, adoptive family counseling, or other products and services, please go to ffeonline.org. For questions about the show, please email us at Faith and Family Matters at gmail.com.